If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Considering Catholicism podcast. I'm your host, Greg Smith, and I'm pretty excited about the things that we have ahead in this episode. We're going to look at a central truth of Catholicism that's called in Latin the Mysterium Fede. We're going to have Part 2 of our conversation with Father Michael Burt. And we're going to learn one of the most ancient of all Christian prayers. If you haven't yet, would you help us to grow the podcast and grow this ministry by subscribing or following the podcast? There will be some sort of a button that says either subscribe or follow, depending on the podcast player that you're using. Go ahead and click that, and new episodes will be delivered to your phone or your tablet or your computer. And go ahead and find the Considering Catholicism Facebook page, if you're a Facebook user, and follow that as well. I'll be regularly posting new updates about the audio podcast, videos, and some other kinds of things that we've got planned on that Facebook page. And we're also producing Considering Catholicism companion videos that pick up on some of the themes in the podcasts. Those are on our YouTube channel or on our Rumble channel. So go there, check those out, and make sure that you subscribe. Those subscriptions help us to become visible to more people and to grow this ministry. So we've got a lot ahead. Without any further ado, let's get right into it. Is Catholicism mysterious? Are you considering Catholicism? Then consider this. When you ask people what drew or draws them to Catholicism, a sort of paradox emerges. Some people describe how they were drawn to Catholicism by the search for truth in the Catholic intellectual tradition. The English writer G.K. Chesterton, in his classic essay, Why I Am a Catholic, which, by the way, had a huge influence on my own conversion to the faith, gave as one of his reasons that, quote, there is no other case of one continuous intelligent institution that has been thinking about thinking for 2,000 years. Now, some of us, and you'll meet some of them in upcoming episodes, are attracted to the order and rationality of Catholic philosophy and science, literature, art, law, ethics, political theory, medicine, etc. But not everyone is attracted to the church's brain by intellectual order and certainty. Some are moved and drawn to the mysteries of the Catholic faith. And if you listened to our last episode, then you've met one of those people. In our first conversation with Father Michael Burt, I asked him 
why he converted to Catholicism. Um, one of the main things that draws me and holds me is the seven sacraments. And tied to that is, you know, when we begin Mass, we talk about we're going to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You know, as a person who reads, I like the genre of mysteries, you know, like Agatha Christie or right. the different things and that. And so trying to figure things out. And so, again, it's coming to understand more fully the infinite depth of the mysteries that we have in the Catholic faith. It was exploring and coming to understand myself of having had spent 22 years in the military, I can be very black and white. And I have to see gray. I have to be able to wrestle with the mysteries. Isn't it interesting how God calls different people through different aspects of their humanity, some through their brain and some through their heart? And it's not always obvious how God is going to reach a particular person. There are some people who consider themselves to be rationalists, like Father Michael, that are drawn into the mysteries of the faith. While on the other hand, there are artists and poets that find the order and the clarity of the Catholic faith to be a, a bright light that illuminates the shadows of their lives. But ultimately, which is it? Is Catholicism a, a rock of reason that sticks up from the chaotic seas of the world? Or is it a, a mysterious space full of incense and bells and things we're never meant to understand? Well, it is a paradox, because both are true in a sense. Catholicism is a rational system that orbits around the universe's deepest mystery. At the very heart of Christianity is the mystery of the Incarnation. How could God, the Creator, become a man, His very own creature? How could Jesus Christ be both fully God and fully man? From the beginning, the church was certain that he was because of the teaching of the apostles captured in the Holy Scriptures. But when I say that the apostles were certain, I don't mean that they were certain in their understanding of exactly how the incarnation could even be possible. No, the apostles, as they communicated it in the New Testament, were simply certain that the incarnation was true. They were sure that it had happened and that it is a miracle beyond human comprehension. So, from the beginning, Christianity has been certain about a mystery. There's that paradox again. But the human mind hates paradoxes. So, from the day Jesus was born, there has always been pressure to keep things simple by explaining who he was in simple terms, by unraveling the mystery and retying it in a nice, neat bow. Even during Jesus' life, people tried to make sense of his identity by emphasizing one of his natures over the other. So, either his divinity gets stressed in some way that robs him of his full humanity, 
or some aspect of his humanity is exaggerated that makes him, in a way, not fully divine. This pressure to make Christ more user-friendly resulted in all sorts of heresies in the early centuries of Christianity. The church finally met at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 to resolve the issue. And they resolved it by preserving the certainty that Christ is mysterious. He is one being with two natures, fully divine and fully human. He is the God-man, the Word-made flesh. The technical term in the theological Greek of the Council of Chalcedon is hypostatic union. But how that's possible, much less how it works, is, well, it's a mystery. But the certainty of that mystery has all sorts of implications, not the least of which is what do you call the mother of the God-man? Because to say that she only gave birth to his humanity is to separate his fused natures, to fracture his hypostatic union. Now, we'll explore that in some future episode when I explain to one of my Protestant colleagues the Catholic doctrine of the mother of God. But Christianity, particularly Roman Catholicism and its sibling Eastern Orthodoxy, has always orbited around this central mystery, has always allowed this paradox to simply stand or to stand back from it, knowing that it can never be fully understood and simply look on in wonder and awe and humility. In Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, this wonder and awe is embodied, incarnated, if you will, in the sacrament of the Eucharist, our holy communion with the mysterious incarnation of our Lord. As Father Michael said in our last episode, at the beginning of the Mass, the priest says, Brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. Because the incarnation of Christ and his communion with us is mysterious, the transformation of the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ and our communion with him through them is also mysterious. Of course, Catholicism has a Latin term for this, the mysterium fede, the mystery of faith. At the central moment of the Mass, the priest elevates the cup with the precious blood and says, or chants, the mystery of faith. And the people respond by singing, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith.
The medieval Catholic philosophers like St. Thomas Aquinas developed a vocabulary to describe how the substance of the bread and wine is transfigured even while they retain their physical form. But in the end, even St. Thomas Aquinas acknowledged that it was a miracle and a mystery. Now, the Protestant reformers in the 1500s, to a greater or lesser degree, some of them more than others, hated this Catholic mumbo-jumbo. They explained it away or they reduced its centrality in Protestant worship services. Communion became a remembrance, not a mystery. And so, as Father Michael said in our conversation last time, in Protestant churches, there is no calling down of the Holy Spirit to transform the communion elements. And with no mysterious Eucharist, there was no need for a priest, only a pastor, to read the Bible and preach a sermon. As an aside, let me just say as a former evangelical who worked with every type of evangelical church around the world, just about the only thing that I didn't see the Holy Spirit called down to do, especially in Pentecostal churches, was to transform the bread and the wine during communion. And realizing that sort of weird inconsistency, that omission, was part of my road to Rome. But that's another story for some other episode. In future episodes and videos, I'll explain more about the Eucharist and respond more fully to Protestant questions and criticisms of it. So subscribe to and follow this podcast and subscribe to and follow the Considering Catholicism YouTube and Rumble channels if you want to learn more. But for now, let me just say that all of the sacraments are mysterious because the sacraments are, are holes that God punches in space-time to allow the light of eternity to shine through into our world and onto our lives. And because Catholicism is centered around these sacraments, especially around the Eucharist, Catholicism is mysterious. The Catholic faith is like a solar system. Its intellectual and artistic and benevolent traditions are like planets propelled by love and orbiting around its central mystery, which is this, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that through him all things were made. And yet, at a moment, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is the central truth of the universe and its central mystery. Catholicism is mysterious because it's all about Jesus, the Christ. One of the best ways to learn more about Catholicism, its beliefs and practices, saints and stories, heritage and culture, is to visit the places where the Catholic story actually unfolded with someone who can explain it, answer your questions, and help you apply it to your life, especially as a part of a group of pilgrims that are sharing and supporting and praying for each other as they discover together. That's why the ministry that produces this podcast one Whirling Adventure offers pilgrimage trips, 
I'll be your guide and teacher, unpacking Catholic faith, life, and heritage for you in some of Catholicism's most significant sites. If you'd like to join me for a pilgrimage to places like Italy, Ireland, Israel, or France, visit the website onewhirlingadventure.org to see the dates and details of upcoming trips. That's onewhirlingadventure.org and click on the travel tab at the top. Let's discover our Catholic faith and heritage together. back with Father Michael Burt, pastor of Our Lady of the Lake in Holland, Michigan, my uh, pastor and my boss at Our Lady of the Lake and uh, the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. Thank you for coming back and joining us again, Father. And it's good to be back here. Wonderful to have you. Father, last time you shared your testimony, your story of how you came to the Catholic Church, how you became a priest, and when we ended the last episode, you were talking about the mystery of the Eucharist, how it drew you in, how it still holds you to the Catholic Church, and the differences that maybe people who grew up outside the Catholic Church or or Protestants might have in the way that they approach that sacrament. What I'd like to do is ask you to follow up on that and talk about what are the pushes and pulls to the Catholic Church? In other words, what are the things that the Catholic Church does or can do that draw people toward Christ through it? And maybe through your experience, pastoral counseling, the confessional, all the work that you do pastorally, what are some of the things that the church or Catholics do sometimes, maybe inadvertently, obviously, that push people away from the church? One of the things that I love so much about the Catholic faith is the seven sacraments. And it's, again, I would go back to connecting my head with my heart. So knowing what the church teaches about the sacraments, teaches us about what the Eucharist is, what baptism is, what reconciliation is, um, the anointing of the sick, celebrating the sacrament of matrimony. It's, you know, kind of making another analogy. When I was in the Navy and I was a hospital corpsman, that was a ministry of health care. Mm-hmm. As a priest, it's a ministry of the soul. Mm. And a lot of what I learned and experienced as a hospital corpsman just transfers over very beautifully into being a priest. Um, one of the things, you know, it's kind of like when we're ha- working on our relationship with God, I need to stop talking and listen. And and so that's that opportunity of, so that we can experience God's presence. And and so when I anoint people and it, you know, in the old days, the anointing of the sick was called the last rites. Mm -hmm. The church has continued to grow and learn and discover about that sacrament, that it's not only for that 
when we're getting ready to pass from this life to the next. But again, it's an opportunity to get that grace and that strength that you receive in uh, the anointing. And so a lot of times when I am celebrating the anointing of the sick with someone, I'll begin and telling and say to them, we know in our minds that Jesus is here, that God is present, that the Holy Spirit is at work. But what we're doing as we celebrate this sacrament is we consciously acknowledge that presence. So I will say to them, you're going to see my face, you're going to hear my voice. Uh, there's a point where I lay hands on the head and pray for the person, but I tell them, it's Jesus, it's God reaching out through me. Right. And I do have kind of an interesting, dry sense of humor. You know, for example, if somebody is getting ready for surgery, um, there's different gospel readings that I can use during that sacrament. And I typically pick the one about the paralytic, mm -hmm. where Jesus, the people cut the hole in the roof, lay down the stretcher in front of Jesus because they couldn't get there. And so if I'm in the hospital, I say, the hospital's very grand. I didn't cut a hole in the roof. <laughs> but you couldn't come to me, so I came to you. Right. You know, if it's before the surgery, I like that gospel reading, and it ties back to my medical experience of after your surgery... There's going to be a nurse and a nurse assistant coming up and saying, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Right. You know, and even in our matters of faith, are we really ready for this? So I try to kind of bring the sacraments to life for them. And again, when they people... You know, in, in the church, like we have the Feast of Corpus Christi, mm -hmm. when we, in the spring, around May, when we have young people receiving their first Holy Communion, those are teaching moments. Mm -hmm. And so we remember what the children are learning as they prepare it, but it's a reminder for us that we need to slow down and to encounter God as we come forward. And so listening to the prayers, doing the responses, and really when we say amen, which is another way of saying I believe, acknowledging consciously that we believe, that we're receiving that real presence of Jesus. It's interesting. I was interviewing another guest to the podcast recently for another episode that will be coming up who is also a convert to the faith. And he was making the point that he had a cartoonish understanding of the Catholic faith. Growing up in a Protestant church, there was sort of a, a version of Catholicism that he was taught that was sort of cartoonish. It made the Catholic church look kind of silly and nonsensical. But that when he began to take it at face value, when he began to take it seriously, that when he showed up and he went to a mass and he really listened and he really watched that all of a sudden it had this profound meaning that you just had to encounter it for what it was and listen. And I think that's, I hear what you saying that, inviting people to, to come and look and listen. 
And it's, you know, being intentional about what we're doing. And one of the other sacraments of reconciliation, sometimes people would say that I haven't been to Mass in, a, in 10 years or I haven't been to reconciliation in 10 years. Um, and the first thing that I do and say to them is, is welcome home. Mm. Because there's that, that's part of my sense of I find a home in the Catholic Church. But when you come to Mass, being intentional to be attentive. Um, in the Eastern Rite churches, um, many times you will hear the priest say, let us be attentive. Hmm. Here at Our Lady of the Lake, we have the bells hmm. that ring during the consecration. That's another way that we can become attentive. So if we've kind of become distracted of like, okay, what am I going to do after Mass or what are we going to have for lunch and that, it's those opportunities to re-engage, mm. to renew the intention and the commitment to be present, to participate fully with the faith community, to listen to God's Word, and be attentive as we come forward to receive the body and blood of Christ. Father, let's consider maybe two kind, other kinds of listeners. One would be someone who has a loved one or loved ones, family members, who have wandered away from the Mass, wandered away from the church. How do they engage them if they can't get them to come to Mass to pay attention? How do they begin to invite them back? Um, I mean, there's different ways. I mean, sometimes what I encounter, this is the third parish that I've been affiliated with a Catholic school. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I might hear in reconciliation with the school kids, I've missed Mass on mm -hmm. Sunday. You know, they have that experience of going to a Catholic church and being able to go to Mass, listen to God's Word, and receive the Eucharist. So what I tell them is you can invite your parents or grandparents or whatever and say, you know, I really enjoyed going to Mass at school this week. I'd like to go again. I want to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. And so in a certain sense, they're sowing seeds, mm -hmm. you know, and, but again, it's continuing to invite, mm -hmm. continuing to pray. You know, I will often talk to them about the many years that St. Monica prayed mm -hmm. for St. Augustine. I said, you know, some people sow the seeds, some water the seeds, the other ones see it come to flourish and to grow in development. Um, and so your part is to be either sowing the seed or watering the seed that you've sown and allowing God to work however he's going to work in that situation. But I encourage them to continue to persevere, you know, to not lose hope that many times, like, I consider baptisms during mass, weddings, funerals, those are teaching moments. That, that theme of hope uh, brings up the other kind of listener. So we have 
one person who might be listening that is not Catholic considering Catholicism and you invite them to come and look and listen and see and experience the sacraments, we have that listener who might have loved ones, family, friends who have wandered away from the church. Be patient, pray for them, make invitation, trust that God will work in his time. But there is maybe a third listener who is considering Catholicism because they're discouraged. They're actually reconsidering their faith. Maybe they grew up in the church. Uh, Maybe they're a convert, but they're frustrated. They're discouraged with the church, with Catholicism. Maybe they haven't been in a while. Maybe they're trying to decide whether they want to remain Catholic or leave the church. And for a variety of reasons, what do you say to those people? Oftentimes, when I talk to them about it, I ask them what life is like for them. How are they experiencing God? Or how do they feel like God isn't listening? Or is they've been abandoned by God for whatever reason? And a lot of times, if they've missed Mass, I ask them, how was life going? Mm -hmm. What was your week like? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes what I hear is something was missing. And, And so I'll say, I says, I don't know this for certain, but it was that what was missing is, is you didn't have that opportunity to listen to God's word. You didn't have that opportunity to receive the real presence in the Eucharist. You didn't, you missed being with other people that believe, you know, and, and embrace and live their Catholic faith. Um, and I, I say to him, I said, you know, sometimes we're praying for each other or they may be praying for you because they're aware of something's difficult going on in your life or you're praying for them. And, and so, again, it's just missing that opportunity to encounter God. Father, I know that you have another commitment. Like all of our priests, you're extremely busy, but I want to sneak in one last question before you, before you have to run, and we're so thankful for the time that you were able to give us. But here's the question. For anyone who's listening that is a parish leader, maybe they're a, they, they sit on their, their pastoral council or their finance council or they're a, a leader of a ministry or a committee or maybe they're on staff or maybe they're one of our clergy, what are the things that parishes can or should do more of to encourage evangelization and bringing people to the Mass? Primarily, it would be continue to invite. You know, like that invitation years ago where that young corpsman I worked with said, why don't you come to Mass with me? You know, and it's there was no pressure. You know, I could say yes, I could say no, but that was a beginning and looking for the opportunities in however we live out our faith or serve in the church. But how can I be the light of Christ in the world? How can I draw people to the faith rather than, um, this would be the black and white of me where you kind of put your thumb down on them again. Being patient, being loving, being inviting, and and sharing, this is what my experience is, is mm-hmm. I, I live out my faith. 
Mm. You know, and I think when we're honest with each other, we have those good times and we have those difficult times. There's times where our faith and is vibrant and alive and is drawing us into it. Um, and then there's those other times where we're really struggling to persevere. But we need to remember in both moments or both contexts, God is still present. God is still at work. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your time. Um, and thank you for your prayers and support. And thank you for joining us as a guest here on the Considering Catholicism podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. We'll get back to the episode in a few moments. But first, I want to share with you an ancient principle of Catholicism. While we are saved by faith, true faith seeks understanding. Christ imparts to us a holy curiosity. We want to learn and grow and come to know more and more of God's word, his will, and his works. The Catholic life should be an ongoing journey of discovery. So, if you're enjoying the Considering Catholicism podcast, then join me and other instructors for the next step in this journey by joining the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. Five years ago, we launched the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, or LANE as we call it, to foster a culture of faith-filled, lifelong Catholic learning in hearts, homes, and parishes. As the Dean of Lane, I invite you to join me and its other teachers for a wide range of learning experiences for adults, as well as for children and families. Lane offers structured courses in Catholic topics, both online and in person, as well as seminars, audio and video documentaries, and field trips, both real and virtual. There are already dozens of courses in our library, with new programs being offered all the time. To check out the catalog and schedule, and to learn more about how it works, visit lanecatholic.org. That's L-A-N-E catholic.org, where faith seeks understanding. We close each episode of this podcast with one of the traditional Catholic prayers. For those of you who do know them, I hope that this segment reinforces them in your life. But for those of you who don't know them, I hope that learning these prayers introduces and encourages you to join in communion with all the saints, lifting your voice to join in the chorus of the faithful, voices spread across thousands of years from every race, language, and nation. Lord, teach us to pray the prayers of the church with all the saints. Most Protestants don't consider today's prayer to even be a prayer at all. The older mainline Protestant denominations do consider it to be a foundational creed.
But in my years in that world, I can't ever remember any Reformed, Presbyterian, Baptist, Lutheran, or Methodist church ever using it as a prayer. In the Pentecostal or Charismatic churches, to the best of my knowledge, it's not even used as a creed because they reject what they call man-made formulations of the faith. In the contemporary, non-denominational evangelical churches, you might run into a pastor who mentions it or find it on the church's website under their beliefs statement. But I didn't really run into many that did. When I was on the final leg of my road to Rome, I was on a pastoral teaching team at one of those non-denominational contemporary churches. Privately, I was considering Catholicism and had begun to use this ancient creed as a prayer every day because it's, well, it's the first prayer of the Catholic Rosary. In fact, for about a year or so, my final year as a Protestant pastor, I made this the first prayer that I prayed every single day. When my eyes opened and feet hit the floor in the morning, I made the sign of the cross and prayed this prayer. Now, one Sunday morning when I was teaching at that church, I mentioned this, that first thing every morning I was praying this creed. And people looked at me like I had just said I kept tarantulas as pets or something. To them, it seemed weird and unbiblical. And some folks got suspicious that I was turning Catholic, which, of course, I I was. Many of them, maybe most of them, had never even heard of the Apostles' Creed before. It's not called the Apostles' Creed because it was directly written by the Apostles, like from their pen. But it's the next best thing. It emerged in the early years of the church while the New Testament was still being assembled and accepted and distributed. The generations of church leaders after Peter and Paul, James and John, summarized the teaching that they had received from the apostles, and they made it a creed and a prayer to be taught to Christians spread throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, it seems that the Apostles' Creed emerged as part of the process of conversion and baptism. New converts to Christianity were, as they still are in the Catholic Church, called catechumens. They spent a year being taught the fundamentals of the faith before they could be baptized. The creed was used as something of a, an outline or a syllabus to instruct new believers. So, they would learn what Christianity is and learn to proclaim it by learning and internalizing this creed. When they came to be baptized, they would be asked what they believe at the baptismal font, and they would recite it. A thousand years later, in 1214 in southern France, St. Dominic made the creed the first prayer of the rosary as he combated heresies that had emerged there. I love praying the creed because part of our prayer life should be affirming our faith to our Father, just as we affirm our belief and commitment to our loved ones here on earth. My friends in those contemporary evangelical churches might not recognize that as a prayer because in it we aren't asking God for something. But in their worship services and private devotions, they sing praise songs with choruses that declare the greatness and goodness of God and his mercy and might and salvation. And that's what we're doing when we pray the creed. We're declaring our faith in God and to God 
by repetition we're ingraining Christian truth into the fibers of our being. I pray that. Should I ever be persecuted as a Christian? When the persecutor demands that I renounce my faith, the creed will burst forth confidently from my lips. It may be the last thing I ever get to say, but I do know what I believe, and I hope that when challenged, I will have the courage to proclaim it. And by praying it every day, I'm trying to make it part of my muscle memory. I encourage you to do the same. The Apostles' Creed I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening. Considering Catholicism is produced by One Whirling Adventure, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a simple mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. We depend completely on your generous donations. Learn more and consider supporting our ministry by visiting oneworlingadventure.org.